All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, or as LeBron James would put it, the LeBron of Lakers Podcasts and Podiatry. What? So yeah, get that foot out of your mouth, believe it, it's true, the king is back. But also, what the fork is Darvin Ham doing? As Pat Bev, the spoon, would put it. So yeah, after just two sweet days of the Lakers being back at 500, unfortunately, due to Sunday's loss against the Chicago Bulls, the Lakers are back to being a below 500 team, even with LeBron's earlier-than-expected surprise return. But the Lakers hope to get their revenge against the Bulls on Wednesday to get back on that Fortune 500 road, and with seven games left in the season, they'll need to do so with the swiftness. But at least they'll be doing it with LeBron James back in tow. And also, D'Angelo Russell is listed as probable as well, so that is great. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I will be joined by Tommy Alexander shortly. He'll hop on for the second half of this podcast, where we'll be covering a bit of an evergreen off-the-script topic that deviates from the Lakers' current present play-in run, We're going to be talking about the next superstar trade that this Lakers front office may try to target as soon as this offseason. And actually, I guess with all of the new Damian Lillard shutdown stuff, um, with the Kyrie Irving debacle in Dallas continuing to snowball, and even with Jalen Brown's recent disdain for the Boston fans and the city of Boston, maybe the second half of our podcast will actually end up being pretty relevant. So stay tuned for that in about 15 minutes or so. But for this first segment, it's going to be me solo, and I just wanted to rant a little bit and address two big things. First, I want to talk about the Lakers' front office and this team and organization as a whole in relation to the signs of negligence and malpractice that they've shown even after having such a stellar trade deadline, and why the Lakers' front office's action-slash-inaction have really pump the brakes on this team really being able to take off and make some noise in this playoff push. So that's number one. Number two, I then want to talk about the Darvin Ham problem that this team currently faces, as well as the Rui Hachimura shemakery that's occurred along with that. So I know, kind of depressing stuff considering LeBron James just returned to the team, but it's depressing only because I feel like The front office, the coach, and this organization hasn't lived up to the collective momentum and positive vibes that's been swelling up from this fan base since the trade deadline and since we got these new players. I don't feel like the organization as a whole has amplified all the positivity that came out of the trade deadline. So with that in mind, let's get started. So here I am again talking about the front office and I guess this Lakers team as a whole. And look, this organization, they simply cannot stay out of their own way. They cannot handle prosperity even when it hits them in the face, even after having such a tremendous trade deadline where by all accounts, they got steals all across the board. So all the good that they did at the trade deadline to fill this team out with depth, they continue to undercut with shoddy decision-making and negligence. 
from deciding to play AD against Memphis on the road after a tough Dallas game where the team overcame a 27-point deficit and LeBron James went down with a foot injury, only to lose that Memphis game and then have AD sit the next night at OKC? What a stupid choice that was. Now, the Lakers got away with it because they then beat OKC the next night, but in terms of process, that was all whack. And in fact, they employed that same bad process the very next week, when they decided not to play Anthony Davis on the second night of a back-to-back against the Houston Rockets, despite labeling Anthony Davis pain-free. And look, if the plan was always to sit Anthony Davis on the second night of a back-to-back, then fine. Then why didn't the front office prepare accordingly for that Houston Rockets game, knowing that Anthony Davis would sit that game? Why didn't they have a 10-day insurance big man on deck? It's because they didn't care and they didn't think they needed one. So they ended up losing to the Rockets game and breaking their own momentum, and we all know what happens next. They lose to the Mavericks the next night at home on a Maxi Kleber buzzer beater. So you'd think even after that embarrassing debacle against Houston, getting destroyed on the boards and being punked around in the paint by Houston's bigs, you'd think after that debacle that surely... Surely the Lakers' front office would sign an insurance big man. Well, here we are about a week and a half, two weeks later, having done our quote-unquote due diligence on bigs like Tony Bradley and Tristan Thompson, but still refusing to use our open roster spot, which has been open since December 7th when we cut Matt Ryan, refusing to use our open roster spot on a 10-day big just because we want to save money and because we don't think it'll make a difference. It is embarrassing to see LeBron James exhaust every medical resource at his disposal to try and come back from his injury earlier while the front office sits here with an open roster spot collecting dust. The fact that their star player is bending over backwards to risk his health to try and lead this team to the playoffs while the front office can't even be bothered to sign an extra big man as insurance and to help preserve everyone's health, including AD, is so disappointing and disgusting. By the way, the Lakers face Andre Drummond again on Wednesday, the same Andre Drummond who was even punking AD on the boards because there is a size and weight disparity. Meanwhile, all we have is Wenyan Gabriel, Jared Vanderbilt, who are slight in frame, and then the other 6'8 guy who actually has a few pounds on him in Rui Hachimura is getting DNPs. Like, what the hell is going on here? And then, after the Bulls game, guess what? On Friday, the Lakers will face Carl Towns and Rudy Gobert. Can the Lakers be bothered to sign an extra big man by then? Probably not. And look, no one's saying that whichever random big man off the streets the Lakers sign is going to be the difference between us winning or losing these games. What I am saying, though, is... This team's margin for error has been razor thin all season, so you gotta do what you can to help this team succeed in any way possible. That means doing all the little things. Making sure you've shored up the holes on the margins. Make sure you've turned over every stone, exhausted every option, and clearly with an open roster spot, the Lakers haven't done that. And that is why, for me, I'm almost undergoing this paradigm shift this late into the season as a Lakers fan. Because if these guys don't care about seriously making a playoff run this year, and if they don't care about securing the sixth seed, then why as a fan should I care? This organization, this team has been penny wise and pound foolish all year. 
what good is it to save money on a 10-day roster spot if you end up losing out on playoff revenue that you could have had by making the playoffs and ensuring that you set this team up for success? What good is it to sit AD on the second night of a back-to-back to -to quote-unquote preserve his health when you could have maybe bit the bullet a little bit, made a stronger effort to secure the sixth seed, and avoided the play-in altogether? A play-in tournament where you may need to play two grueling games just to get in the playoffs, and then a few days after that, you'll go into a seven-game series. That is increasing injury risk even more than playing a measly back-to-back against the Rockets. So everything the Lakers are doing is just... They think they're benefiting themselves in the short term, but really they're just hurting themselves even more in the long run. But anyways, there goes my ongoing rant on the front office and their lack of good process this whole year. None of us should be surprised at this point with how uneven this season has gone. The run that the Minnesota Timberwolves are currently on, where they're just riding that positive wave of momentum, that's the run the Lakers should be on. But every step along the way, just when it seems like they're going to break that glass ceiling, they shoot themselves in the foot. All right, so let's move on to my second topic, Darvin Ham, Mr. Facts Over Feelings. Well, as I think we've seen all season, this guy has been anything but facts over feelings. In fact, it's been all feelings and very little of the facts with Darvin Ham. And look, I know every team and every fan base hate their coach to some extent. Coaches have it tough in the NBA. They are the ultimate scapegoat. And I know issues like favoritism and nepotism exist all throughout the league with every coach. Coaches will always give vets a longer leash. You're seeing that with Ty Lue. So I know none of the complaints I'm about to give about Darvin Ham are all that different from other fan bases' complaints with their own respective coaches. So I know the grass isn't always greener. And I know Darvin Ham has been great in the locker room this year, and he's really gotten the buy-in of a lot of his players. This team has been relentless and played hard regardless of the personnel on it. We will credit him for the turnaround on the defensive end, with this team being the top defensive-rated team since the All-Star break. So yes, Darvin Ham has done some pretty good things this season. But if we look at his entire performance as a whole, tactically, strategically, in-game adjustment-ally, PR-wise-ly, Darvin Ham is not a good coach, or at least thus far he hasn't been a good coach. He's a rookie coach, so there's obviously room for improvement, but I think this season has amplified the fact that he is very much, in fact, a rookie coach. Now, obviously, he was not dealt a great hand at all, so I empathize with the piss-poor context he's had to work with to start this season, but... The ways in which he has shot himself in the foot and shot this team in the foot since the All-Star break has been downright maddening. From taking so long to stagger Anthony Davis and D'Angelo Russell in different lineups, and then finally doing it against the New Orleans Pelicans when they have one of their best wins of the season, and then reversing that course shortly after that and forgetting all about that stagger, to... This insane insistence on rolling with his favorite three-guard lineup units, even after we shipped out Kendrick Nunn, Patrick Beverly, and Russell Westbrook, even after we've upgraded our team with forwards, we're still running out three-guard lineups of 6'4 and under dudes. To the grossly excessive leash he continues to have for Dennis Schroeder, even when he's not playing the right way out on the court on a particular game. 
to the insane ways Darvin Ham allows his guards, like Dennis Schroeder, to do whatever the hell they want on offense while completely ignoring Anthony Davis and going possessions on possessions without Anthony Davis even touching the ball. Darvin Ham even said it himself. AD's dumbass coach needs to draw more plays for him. And yet, we get games like Sunday, the Chicago game, this late into the season, where Anthony Davis goes 6 of 8. Now, the onus is obviously also on Anthony Davis, but when he is 6 of 8, as a coach, you need to help him out. That is simply inexcusable. So even after having said all of that, I think by far the most egregious thing Darvin Ham has done yet to this point has been his handling of Rui Hachimura. Okay, actually, maybe this is the second most important thing because number one should be not getting 80 touches. But Darvin Ham's handling of Rui Hachimura this season has been downright atrocious, and we saw that come to a full head on Sunday against the Chicago Bulls when he DNP'd Rui Hachimura. Even before the Chicago game, Darvin Ham was already doing a terrible job utilizing Rui on offense and neglecting to drop plays for him so that he could go to work in the mid-range, in half-court possessions, Instead, he always had the dude stuck on the perimeter baseline doing nothing. So that was bad enough. But to then DNP him on Sunday against the Chicago Bulls team that was beating us with length and strength, to DNP Rui Hachimura for Lonnie Walker, who was previously not even a rotation player since the trade deadline and all-star break, now that was completely inexcusable. And look, Lonnie Walker stepped up big time for us during the OKC game, and he deserves all the praise and flowers he's been getting for being ready for the moment. But he got that opportunity and chance to step up because D'Angelo Russell and LeBron James were out. On Sunday, LeBron James was back. You don't then decide on Sunday versus the Chicago Bulls, who clearly have a size advantage on the Lakers, you don't decide with seven to eight games left in the regular season when you're fighting for your play-in lives to then reinsert Lonnie Walker into the rotation and give Rui Hachimura, who by the way has been playing very well in spite of the limited minutes and misutilization, you don't then DMP Rui Hachimura for Lonnie Walker. The same Rui Hachimura, by the way, who you have restricted free agency rights on and still have plans to re-sign this offseason. Things that do not apply to unrestricted free agent Lonnie Walker. If you want to maintain a good relationship with Rui Hachimura and his team, don't do stupid shit like this. So just everything about the Rui handling this Sunday kind of feels like a microcosm of everything wrong with Darvin Ham. It's all feelings over facts. And whenever he talks, he sounds like Rob Palenka. It's just a bunch of flowery gibberish that no one is actually buying. Darvin Ham's explanation for benching Rui Hachimura and playing Lonnie Walker, because clearly we needed his one of three 13-minute performance on Sunday, Ham pretty much explained away his DNPing of Rui with the fact that, quote-unquote, there are a lot of talented players on this roster, and some guys will have to sit out. Tonight, it was Rui. That explanation is utter BS. It should not apply to Rui Hachimura when he is only one of four players on your team who are 6'8", and you just got LeBron James back for the first time. Meanwhile, Lonnie Walker is one out of six to seven other players on your team who qualify as a guard who are all 6'5 and under. 
So anyways, just crazy stuff from Darvin Ham, and I really hope he learns from it because it's starting to get really aggravating. I guess we do have to have some grace for him being a rookie head coach, but to sum it all up, if you want to ask yourself why this team is struggling to take things to the next level whenever it seems like they're at the precipice of something great, whenever you want to ask yourself why they can't take things by the rope here and push for a sixth seed even when every other team in the Western Conference is faltering? Well, look no further than Darvin Ham and this front office, who continue to shoot themselves in the foot with their decision-making. So anyways, end of rant. Why don't we cool down? Why don't we take it to break? And when we return, Tommy will join me as we open up Pandora's box to the next superstar trade this Lakers front office may look to swing as soon as next season. So yeah, we will catch you guys after the turn. Hey, Tommy, how's it going? Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How is the sleep training with the kid going? Oh. Okay, we don't have to talk about that. But what we will talk about is what quote-unquote star is worth trading D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, maybe Rui, maybe Max Christie, and the 2029 pick, maybe the 2023 pick for? Just what next star, disgruntled star, is worth trading that package for? Maybe the 2023 pick is out of there, or maybe the 2029 pick is out of there. But essentially, one, of, one or both of those picks are in there, D'Angelo Russell as the main staple, and then some other ancillary pieces to make up the salary ballast. Before I give you a list of players, can you think up of any, like, quote-unquote, disgruntled stars this upcoming summer, or maybe even into the first half of next season, who could fit this bill that the front office would look at? Emphasis on star. Star in the front office's eyes, obviously. And again, just to make our stance clear, we are not advocating for this. We would obviously love depth. We love D'Angelo Russell. There has been, like, sort of wavering opinions based off of Kyrie Irving's last play against us uh, at Staples, whether or not we do the Kyrie Irving, D'Angelo Russell swap. So maybe you want to start there, but are there any guys off the top of your head, whether it's Kyrie or someone else, that you would consider trading D'Lo and essentially some salary ballast and the 2023 pick or the 2029 pick or both for? Yeah, without getting into whether I would do any of these, I think at first, at least, I think like things that could, you know, you could see happen that maybe the front office is keeping an eye on. I mean, it's guys probably like names we've heard, Damian Lillard, you know, he had some comments obviously recently people have seen probably about how he recognizes mm-hmm. Portland's out of the out of the competition at this point and he's going to probably have shut it down and you know, some comments suggesting like, I don't know, at this stage of my career, if I'm, you know, here for a rebuild, you know, stuff that suggests maybe eventually this like I don't run from mm-hmm. the grind thing is, is going to is going to run out. Um, Bradley Beal, another one, you know, with with Washington, massive salary, kind of an absurd contract with his no trade clause. So, you know, he he can dictate where he wants to go, you know, so in a way, if he if he not if not only said I want to leave but I want to go play with LeBron and AD and you know there's probably some mutual respect there like you know that's something that you could see them selling the farm for um those are the two main guys that come to mind I mean I I'm sure you have a list of of a lot more but um but yeah those are the two I think for me okay so would you do any of those I don't think so, which just sounds crazy to say. I mean, like Damian Lillard, I might do. Bradley Beal's contract, I know it's like he's a little bit 
on paper, Bradley Beal seems like maybe even a better fit than Dame. Um, yeah. And he's bigger and he plays a little more defense probably than Dame does, especially at their respective ages. But Bradley Beal's contract is so insane and he has never been able to stay healthy. And yeah. we just can't add like, you know, a third guy. To, like Damien's older, but other than that one weird season, like after the Olympics, like he has pretty much, he's stayed pretty healthy for most of his career. Um, yeah, he's getting older, but I take that over a guy like Beal who plays the way that he does, like constantly generating contact and, and constantly getting injured off of it. Yeah, I think for me, 100% yes on Damian Lillard. After what he's done this season, I'm like, shoot, if we had that on our team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, yeah, it's maybe two or three years, but it's worth it. Um, And really, you know, I mean, yeah, giving up a 2029 pick, 2023 pick, and obviously we're skirting over the fact that Portland might not do it for, for those picks. But anyways, yeah, I would do it for Damian Lillard and then Bradley Beal, unfortunately. Like you said, on paper, if we know he's healthy for all of those years and you're getting... Like, if I told you right now, you're going to get Bradley Beal 65 games every year of Bradley Beal for the next four years. I think I would be more a little bit more open to that, right? But there's no certainty in that. Um, okay, what about Kyrie Irving? Let's say we were not dealing with the sign-and-trade hard cap stuff. Dallas Mavericks signed him to his max extension, but then they realize, you know, middle of the season next year, it's not working out. And they're just like, okay, you know what? Los Angeles, give us D'Angelo Russell. Malik Beasley, maybe Rui Hachimura, and one of the picks. 2023 pick that you already drafted, or, or they probably asked for the 2029 pick. Would you do it for Kyrie Irving? In that context, I would do it for Kyrie Irving because it wouldn't hard cap us. I mm-hmm. wouldn't do a sign-and-trade situation for Kyrie because it would hard cap us, and the casualties would just like extend, I think, fairly far beyond the trade. Yeah, I think I would as well because then you get to keep Jared Vanderbilt, obviously, you have Austin Reeves in tow. Maybe you re-sign Troy Brown or a new mid-level guy. And so you still have like salary ballast pieces to work with. So in that sense, yes, I'd trade d for Kyrie Irving. Even though, again, I think from a personal fan perspective, we would like to see d continue to grow with this group, maintain some continuity, get his Laker redemption story, et cetera, et cetera. Um, okay, so here are some other options that I also thought of. Give me your thoughts. Devin Booker? if things go sour in Phoenix somehow, because wherever Kevin Durant goes, drama follows, right? So you, nothing can be certain. So yeah. Devin Booker, Jalen Brown, the Boston Celtics, he's had some recent comments that would lend to the fact that he may not be so excited to re-sign with Boston because it's in Boston. Um, and then Carl Anthony Towns. So Tommy, out of those three, if the Lakers are looking for like a younger star, and actually in the same sort of timeline as D'Angelo Russell's like rookie year. What are your thoughts on Devin Booker, Jalen Brown, and Carl Anthony Towns for like a D'Lo package, assuming that these teams would take a D'Lo-centric package with the 2023 already drafted pick and the 2029 unprotected? Yeah, assuming all that, right? Because I just want to clarify that I actually don't think we can get any of these guys, to be very clear. (laughs) But yeah, in my fantasy uh, you know, fantasy draft scenario. Who am I taking as like a young star from this crap from this crew that is within the realm of possibility of getting? I think if you can get Devin Booker, you just have to get him. That dude's like a legit superstar, and he can carry you offensively. And he just changes. I mean, he changes the game. And and these other guys like Carl Anthony Towns, like it's hard to build around 
reliably build around big men. We've seen it across the league, you know. Jalen Brown. I like Jalen Brown, but I just think Devin Booker's game is very similar and it's more refined. I mean, Jalen Brown gives you maybe more defensively and he's bigger a little bit, but um I still take I'm still taking Devin Booker in that scenario. Um yeah, I bet I I mean I would do probably I would probably do any of those. Um <laughs> to, to, to <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think with regards to who the Lakers pick as their next quote unquote star trade target, while I like Carl Towns, I feel like they'd always deviate towards more of a ball handling primary scorer slash initiator as their next star, right? Because they're probably thinking about LeBron James on his way out. Yes, Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Davis would be an amazing Twin Towers sort of duo, but who's going to handle the ball and get them the ball, right? Although maybe with Carl Anthony Towns, you're not as worried about that, but it could end up still being clunky with even with regards to Carl Anthony Towns being a spacing big. But yes, I would do any three of these. I would maybe put Jalen Brown higher than Devin Booker, actually, just because he's a better defender than Devin Booker. And he obviously was a Kobe fan growing up, a Lakers fan. And yeah, I just always like Jalen Brown. But yeah, Jalen Brown, Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns is probably how I'd rank it. Um, my last question to you is, let's say we take the 2029 pick out of the picture and one of these disgruntled stars and their team, or one of the teams of these disgruntled stars want to get off of their contracts. Um, let's say we're halfway into next season. Let's say the package is just D'Lo Beasley 2023 first, maybe Max Christie, just ancillary parts, right? And the real asset is the 2023 first, whether or not we've drafted it yet. If you can use that package to get Zach Levine, what do you think about that? Or Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan? Is, is DeMar DeRozan a star? I don't know, but I think the front office would see him as a star. So I'll give you Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and then Pascal Siakam. If you can get those three for like a D-Lo 2023 first package, however way it shakes out, would you do it? Um, tricky. Tricky. I probably wouldn't do it for DeMar. Um the okay. fit with LeBron and AD, I think it makes more sense in like a, it does make more sense than probably the other two in like a win now sort of situation. But I do think that for a third option that you don't need to like consistently rely on to be there every single night offensively, but like has clearly shown potential to step up to like a number two or even number three sort of role. And then like the big factor is can take a lot of pressure off of your main guys defensively. I think I would definitely do something for Pascal Siakam if he became available. Um, you can say the fit with LeBron and AD is maybe still a little clunky because he's not like a knockdown shooter, but he can shoot respectively enough. And I just think that length would create so much havoc with AD, him and LeBron in the front court. I mean, that, that it would just be it would be chaos down there it would just be limbs mm. everywhere oh uh, did you did you say what you'd do for if you do it for Levine I don't think I would do it for Levine um <gasps> I know I know I just I'm personally not super super high on Levine um but I know okay. you are but but you know with Levine the thing that I get concerned about it concerned about is like we've even sort of seen it with the this uh Chicago team when there's like other guys who can handle or 
want to handle the ball or need to handle the ball. I feel like Zach just tends to like fade. And I don't know if that's a coaching thing or what, but he'll have these like long stretches where he's just sort of running, like doing cardio out there and running to the corners and not really engaging offensively. It seems at times. Mm -hmm. So I agree, but I feel like the same can be said with D'Angelo and we're starting to sort of see it even without LeBron James, where in clutch time situations, if D'Angelo Russell's three-point shot is not working. You can't really count on him to attack the basket. Maybe that's a mentality thing. Maybe that's also just a physicality, physique, athleticism thing that he just doesn't have, and he'd rather not get himself hurt. And so I feel like Zach Levine, as opposed to D'Angelo Russell, would at least attack the closeout hard and has finishing abilities that obviously D'Angelo Russell doesn't have. And obviously he's 6'5", 6'6", or no, D'Angelo Russell is listed as 6'5", but I'm pretty sure Zach Levine is taller and longer than him um, and obviously more athletic. So I think that's why I would still probably do it for Zach Levine if I had to play devil's advocate against myself. His contract coming up is pretty gnarly. It's like $50 million at some point, you know, down the line. And you're not sure if he'll hold up health-wise. And then I think my biggest argument against myself for Levine is at a certain point, Tommy, we need to stop undervaluing these pretty good first round picks, you know, that are in the 18 to 24 range, because we've already seen how that's come to bite us with regards to losing out on Jaden McDaniels by trading away the number 28 pick for Dennis Schroeder, even though at the time we agreed on that deal, or we could have had Desmond Bain at that pick, right? Willy nilly giving that extra first to Washington who didn't even want it for the Russell Westbrook trade, where you could have had guys like Isaiah Jackson at that spot or Herb Jones, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it could very much be the case that that 2023 first, you could get that caliber quality sort of player who, yeah, you'll get the benefit of Zach Levine for the next two or three years, but that pick and that player could end up being better than Zach Levine by year three, you know, as we're seeing with guys like Desmond Bain, Jaden McDaniels, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess that's why I wouldn't do the Levine deal, but, you know, gun to my head, you're like, essentially you're trading D'Lo for Levine and then having to give up the 2023 first, would I do it? I think I'd still say yes, but there are obviously um, big concerns. But yeah, with that said, uh, anything else you want to add or any other random star you want to throw out there? Uh, nothing else from me. Okay, cool. Well, that is our random segment where we talk about who would we trade D'Angelo Russell and Salary Ballast and some picks for and trying to anticipate what this front office might do with regards to who is on their board of potential star targets coming up who may be disgruntled or who are on teams who may want to get off of their longer-term deals. My biggest fear, Tommy, is that they do consider DeMar DeRozan a star and they would make a deal like that. Um, I think I would only be okay with the DeMar deal if maybe the 2023 first isn't included, but even then I feel like we're heading into like a pseudo, slightly richer version of the Russell Westbrook situation. You know what I mean? I think it'll pan out better, but we're not too much far off from that. But yeah, with that said, we will catch you guys next time or I'll catch you after the turn. And Tommy, I will bid you adieu. See ya, man. Adieu. <laughs> I do too. All right. Bye. Peace. <laughs>